Awesome, awesome, awesome. So glad you guys are here to celebrate that. Great job cheering and clapping. You did your part very, very well. That was super exciting. And uh, we always want to be challenging people to take a step with God. Um, The same promise is true for everyone who believes that he who started a good work in our hearts and in our lives won't ever give up on us, even if we try to give up on him. So your first step might be to put your faith in Jesus. Your next step could be to join a serve team, or there's all kinds of little and big things that we want to help you do in your own walk with God and in family with our congregation. But for some of you, you might say, my next step is to go ahead and get baptized. And so if that's you, you can go online, you can send an email, you can grab us at the Next Steps booth, and we'd love to talk with you about that. We're jumping in to our series called That's in there. And if you haven't been here for the first few weeks, you can catch the first couple of segments, the verses that we've looked at so far. But we're looking at Bible verses that demand a response, verses that maybe you've heard before or kind of glossed over when you were reading, or maybe something that you're like, wow, I didn't even, I never heard that before. I didn't know that was in there. Verses that are just kind of crazy when you think twice about them. Um, But then what does that really mean for my life? What does that really mean for us as a congregation? What does that really mean for the community that we live in? We started a Morris campus because we want to help people who live in and around this community who don't yet know God find a relationship with God, to experience family in his church, freedom and forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can bring. So uh, we would love to fill this place up with people who never met God yet and help them find eternal life through Jesus. And so our goal was not to be the coolest, bestest, biggest church, just a place for people to come and experience his love. And so uh, as we do that, we're going to talk about the Bible every single week. We worship him and we hear from him in his word. And so this series is looking at verses that just kind of, let's think twice, that demand a response. And so today we're going to be looking at what we're called to do. That's a little shocking. I'm calling it, that's on me, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been responsible for something, but you didn't know it till like halfway through. You're like, oh, I didn't even know I was responsible for that. I wish you would give me a heads up, right? And so, uh, Maybe today you'll realize, oh, shoot, I I didn't know that's on me. But uh, when you leave, you will for sure. So if you brought a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at uh, today's crazy verse that demands a response that maybe you've heard before, maybe you missed it, maybe you've never heard it before. um, But I want to look at it and actually pause long enough to think twice because it is a crazy verse. Matthew chapter 18. So if you brought a device or even an old school paper version, uh, open that up. We're going to look at a, a, a good chunk of that chapter. I'll put a couple of verses on the screen, but the rest you're going to have to read for yourself. So uh, go ahead and open up to chapter 18. And we're going to uh, catch up with Jesus talking. Jesus is teaching. There's a mixed crowd. His disciples are there, other people, believers, skeptics, you know, and uh, he's just being straight up like he always is with people. And check out what he says. In verse 18, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 6. And today I'm going to read from the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's not like better than the other ones, but in case you're wanting to follow along, that's the one I'm going to have on the screen. And so um, that's the one I've got. But look at what Jesus says to this crowd of people. He says, if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin. Now I'll pause real quick because right before this is a famous scene where Jesus has these kids around him. He, right in the middle of this, there's kids, and his, his uh, disciples have been like, who's the best? I think I'm the best Jesus follower. No, I'm better than you, right? Like, I gave more money than you, or, you know, whatever. I heard what you said when you hit your, your thumb with a hammer yesterday. I, I'm in, and he's like, no, 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 you're all losing it. Like, he brings up these little kids, and he's like, they got it figured out, because they come humbly, like a small child. He said, this is 
how you come to me. And then he turns to like, to like double down on what he's saying. And he says, with these kids standing there, if any of you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, look what he says. It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now that's crazy. I don't know if you've heard that verse before, but this is like some mafia justice that Jesus is like throwing out there for us to consider. Like I can almost hear the Godfather voice, right? Like if, if, if God finds out that you caused someone else to sin, it's like, oh, tie a millstone around his neck and lose him, right? Like roll him up in a carpet and throw him off the bridge. Like that's what this verse sounds like to me. Is that seriously what Jesus means? Yes. My takeaway from this verse is Jesus takes sin very seriously, right? Like he's not messing around when it comes to sin. He doesn't want us to sin. And as bad as our own sin is, it seems like it might even be worse if we help or cause or enable someone else in a sinful life or a, or a single sin. He says, if any of you causes someone who trusts in me to sin, you might as well be mafia style drowned, right? Like that's going to be bad for you. Uh, sinning seems bad. Causing someone else to sin sounds even worse. This is a crazy verse. And this demands a response. That means it's on us to help people not sin. If we help someone to sin, we're the one that introduced them to this terrible habit. We're the one that dared them. We're the one that encouraged them to do it anyways. Whatever it is, I don't know if you're thinking back to some of the memories. I can think back to things like, oh, why was I saying, why was I cheering them on? Why did I dare that person to, you know, like, this is me. I'm lucky I haven't been drowned in the depths of the sea yet because I'm guilty of this. And I didn't even know I was responsible for your sin, but I better be more careful going forward. Because if anyone causes someone else to sin, you might as well be mafia-style drowned in the depths of the sea. And then um, if that's not enough, he goes on. The next verse, he says this. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Jesus is saying, you know, in this world, there's brokenness, there's temptation, and there's sin. That it's, it's a shame, but it's true. My grandpa used to say, it ain't right, but it's so, right? Like, I don't like it, I'm not happy about it, but that's the way it is. And look what Jesus says. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptation are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? See, we don't want to be guilty before God of bringing somebody else into our sin or encouraging them in their own sin, because Jesus is like, it'd be better if you were never, never around. Like, that is a big deal. Um, Here's what he's trying to help us understand. Like, why would Jesus say these phrases about being drowned and how horrible it's going to be if you cause someone else, if you're the one who does the tempting? Here's why. Jesus takes sin very seriously. Sin's a huge deal to Jesus. In fact, that's the whole reason he came. He was in a perfect place. He had a good gig going. He left heaven, became a man, you know, had pain emotionally, physically, all the things that we experienced, was tempted, had to live on earth as the creation that he created and went to die on the cross all because sin was such a big deal. And he knew that we were dead in our sins. We celebrate baptism because it's literally eternal life coming to someone's life when they give their life to Jesus. He took sin very seriously. It was a really big deal. And he's trying to help us understand it. So he's, he's going ahead and quoting Godfather movies or whatever it takes to help us realize, wow, sin is a huge deal. Sin is dangerous. It is destructive. It's a bigger deal than we think. you know. And, and we don't want to be a guilty party or an accomplice on accident to someone else sinning. We should do everything we can to help each other live 
righteously, because Jesus is trying to like, go out of his way to say it in a crazy way to get our attention that sin is a big deal, okay? Here's another thing that I think Jesus realized and why he's saying this. Everyone is an influencer. Now, you could say everyone's a leader. You're leading someone. You're leading yourself. But you influence people. You might influence them negatively or positively, but you have influence on people. You might have hundreds of people following you online or people in your office during the week, and it might just be the people that you're friends with. You don't even think about the fact that your life, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you treat people, every one of us influences someone. I remember when I was in high school, I thought I was really funny, and my best friend and I, we were on a youth retreat with uh, actually... Pastor Errol, our lead pastor, was one of the youth pastors. So my youth pastor and him came and got me and my, my best friend out of bed and was like, hey, we want to talk to you guys. And I'm like, this is awesome. Bonus time with the cool youth pastor guys, right? And it, that's not what it was at all. They sat us down and like, listen, you guys do so many stupid things. And you're constantly distracting everyone. Like, this trip is for fun, but it's also like we're trying to help people know God. And you guys are always, like, screwing around. And then you influence other people to screw around. And they just challenge us. They're like, do you care about other people, you know, growing in their faith? And we're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, you're being an influencer for bad. You could be an And they give us this great, and it, it sunk in, like, I walked into that meeting like the youth pastors love us. Look, they're getting us out of bed to hang out with us. I walked out like challenged by godly men to say, you need to pay attention to your influence because you are an influencer and you can take people one way or the other. So I don't know if it's your spouse, your kids, your parents, coworkers, classmates, teammates, neighbors, who knows? People are watching you. They might be literally being like, that person's a Christian. I'm going to see what they do in this situation. Or they just live near you. They eat lunch with you, whatever. Like, you're rubbing off on people. We are all influencers. And Jesus is trying to help us understand whatever influence you have on one or many people, you want to help them live righteously, and you definitely don't want to help them in their sin. Every one of us is an influencer. So, um... We don't want to cause someone to sin. We don't want to literally like, be the tempter, but we also don't want to like, enable them to sin, right? Like, well, the way I turned a blind eye to what you did or what you said or the way I you know, gave you what you needed to make that, I didn't do it, I didn't tell you to do it, but if I enabled you, maybe I'm guilty. I'm like an accomplice in that sin, right? Like, uh, we don't even want to accidentally encourage someone. And where sometimes this leaves us is like, how do we know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, you know, to other people. But Jesus is like, you better take it seriously. I take it seriously. Sin is a big deal, and you don't want to be guilty of not helping someone not sin. You don't want to be guilty of causing someone to sin, and we're all influencers. I would say it like this. Don't let your example become their excuse. I think in this life, there's things that we do, and maybe you've decided this is okay for me, right? Some people I know would say, I don't watch rated R movies. It's just not good for me. I don't need that. Other people would say, it's okay for me to watch rated R movie. And that's your decision. I'm not, to write, I'm not saying it's good or bad, right or wrong. Different Christians could make that decision for themselves. Same thing with drinking and, and all kinds of things that you might say, no, I've thought about this. I've talked to other people about this. Between me and God, this is okay. Paul dealt with this back in the New Testament days. He wrote letters about what people were allowed to eat because it was from a temple that sacrificed it to idols. And one guy's like, it's just a piece of meat. Why can't I eat it? Especially if I'm a guest at their house. Other Christians at the time would say, no, 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 how dare I? And Paul says, you're both right. 
So just watch how you help each other because although it's okay for you, you don't want to cause that person to sin. Don't let your example become their excuse. I had a professor uh, when I was in Bible college and uh, we were studying student ministry. And we talked about like, uh, should Christians drink? Should pastors drink? You know, how does this go? And I remember he had this great line. He didn't try to tell us what to do or what not to do or how to make that decision, but he said this to all of us potential would-be someday soon youth pastors. Just remember, as a leader, what you do in moderation, your students will do in excess. And that's not always true of every student, but he's just saying basically this. Don't let your example become their excuse, right? Like, well, Pastor Eric drinks all the time, right? And that doesn't mean I should or shouldn't drink, but I better really have solid conviction on what I do and what I don't do, who I do it with, what example, what I say and what I do lining up. And what I'm saying is we're all influencers. And the way we live our life, especially with those closest to us, we probably have no more greater influence than on our children. And the way they see us interact with others, the way they see us interact with them. Parents, we have a huge responsibility. That's on us as parents to help our kids live righteously and not to let our example become their excuse. Um, I think all the time about the ways I've blown it as a parent. The times I've done things and said things with or in front of my kids and I regret it because I don't want them to grow up one day and say, well, I remember my dad when he got really mad, so that's okay for me. Oh, I remember how my dad treated people. You know, like, I have to repent of the times I've blown it, especially in front of my kids, because I want my example to encourage them to live righteously. Now, we're all sinful people, and none of us are perfect until we get home. We are a work in progress, and that verse we shared earlier, that God is faithful to continue to the good work that he started in our hearts. But we should take seriously the influence that we have on however many people it is because Jesus says sin's a big deal and helping someone else in their sin, we might as well be drowned in the depths of the sea. Then he goes on. Here's some more crazy verses. The very next verse in verse 8, he says this. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. That's pretty gross. Because it's better for you to enter eternal life with only one hand or only one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both hands and both feet. Now, I don't think he literally means you should chop off your hands and your feet. Um, what he's trying to say is, sin's a big deal. Do whatever it takes. If you have to cut your hand off, cut your hand off because you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. And then he goes on. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I mean, that's disgusting. Besides the pain, that just sounds messy, right? Like, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to uh, enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into eternal fire. Jesus is like, sin is a big deal. He took sin so seriously. He starts by saying, you definitely don't want to be the reason somebody else sins. And by the way, do whatever it takes in your own life to not sin. And I don't, you know, if we took this seriously, there'd be a bunch of blind Christians with no hands and no feet, right? Because like, oh, I stole that one time or, you know, whatever it was. He's not saying, he's being hyperbolic. He's speaking in hyperbole to get our attention to show how serious sin is. Jesus is like, I came and died for your sin. It couldn't possibly be a bigger deal. And he's trying his hardest to help us realize it is a huge deal. This idea of doing whatever it takes to not sin. We did a series a while back called Guardrails. And the whole idea was put 
something in your life that you say, that's a line I'm not going to cross. Not because it's sin, but it leads to the danger zone. It leads to sin. And in that series, we just tried to help each other think about where could we draw a line? Even if someone else says, that's okay for me, but I say, but for me, I know this is getting me into trouble. And so here's some decisions that people have made that maybe you've made or you want to think about or it could encourage you on how do we do what it takes for any of us? We all struggle in many ways, James says. So uh, some people have and may need to break up a relationship, a friendship, a dating relationship, whatever it is. That relationship is just so toxic, so unhealthy. It causes me to sin. It does me no good. I do know that I do them no good. And so like, if, if that's a drastic move, I need Jesus is like, cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, end the relationship, whatever it takes to not sin, because sin is a huge deal. Okay? I, I know people who have chopped up credit cards. And they wouldn't say that I can't have a credit card, but for them, it just does them no good. And they had to make a drastic decision. I know people who have canceled their home internet. People that have decided, I'm only going to use my computer in like the living room, right? I'll never take it to the bedroom or the bathroom or anything like that because I just need that accountability. There's people that have canceled their smartphones and went back to like a grandpa-style flip phone. Because they're just like this thing, whether it's my social media, my jealousy, my lust, whatever it is, this is causing me to sin. So the equivalent of gouging my eye out is to change my connection, change my devices. Some people have stopped drinking altogether. They might not say all Christians don't have to drink, but they've just said, for me, for this, this is best. I've got to do something drastic, draw the line early to not sin. That's what Jesus is saying. Do whatever it takes. Stop watching certain shows, certain movies, certain news feeds. Shut down social media. Maybe take a 30-day fast from social media or just close down your account for good. I don't know. We all struggle in many ways, but Jesus is saying, think about honestly what causes you to sin and chop it off because you're better. Not only is he saying it's worth it, he's saying you'll be glad that you did. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand and one eye and one foot than to disqualify yourself along the way. So Jesus is like, listen, I, I laid my life down for your sin. That's what we celebrate with baptism. Jesus in my place. I die with him. I'm a new creation because of his uh, life in me. And Jesus, Jesus wants us to understand how big of a deal it is. He wants us to understand he gets the consequences of sins. He's lived it. He's paid it for us. He's trying to get our attention. You might as well be thrown in the sea with a millstone around your neck if you're going to cause somebody else to sin. And you might as well gouge your own eye out if you've got a problem with sin. Do whatever it takes to live righteously, and to help other people live righteously. Now, in the rest of the chapter, and I'm not going to put these, so if you've got Matthew chapter 18, I want to read the next uh, couple chunks of verses. And it's interesting because from this little speech about dealing with our sin, he tells a story that you've probably heard before about how good God is. And then he tells us what to do in relationships with each other. Because it's one thing for us to, on our own say, okay, what do I struggle with and, and how do I you know, go about cleaning it up? What, what guardrails do I need? What do I need to do to help myself get accountability or whatever? But then with each other, how do I know what to say to you when I see something that's like, eh? Or how do you know what to call me on? And without just trying to like make yourself feel better because you don't struggle with that one, right? And so you can put me in my place really good. So uh, first he tells this story. So this is the parable of the lost sheep, starting in verse 12. Jesus says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out and search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. And then he says in the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that any one of these little ones should perish. 
He tells us this story that maybe you've heard before that Jesus loves every single person. He's concerned about you more than the church full of people somewhere else. He is searching us out to bring us back to the Father, to give us new life. And heaven throws a party every time somebody makes that decision. And he's like giving us this, this image through this picture, this story of how much God loves each one of us, that he's on a mission to restore us. He doesn't say he finds the sheep and he beats it or he scolds it or he grounds it. No, he scoops it up and he rejoices because he's restoring the lost sheep. And then he turns and he tells us what to do in our relationships, okay? This is about how to confront each other correctly. And this is difficult, but worth it. Look what he says starting in verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. Okay? Now, nobody loves confrontation. Actually, if you're just like, I love confrontation, point, you know, I mean, you might have an issue. But most of us are like, it's necessary. I don't, I don't like it. I'd rather dodge it, right? But Jesus is like, there's some healthy confrontation that Christians need to have for each other. Now, Scripture makes it really clear. As believers, it's not our job to go to people who don't know Jesus and tell them about all the sin in their life. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. We're not called to be condemning and convicting. Now, hopefully we can, in love, help people realize there's a better way. God knows what's best for us. God invites us to new life. But for Christians, he does say we should encourage each other, challenge each other, and help each other. Not an in-your-face, your, you know, judgmental kind of way, but he says that you can win that person back. He keeps going in verse uh, 16. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, that person is a pagan or a corrupt, uh, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, what Jesus says here is so hard sometimes to get just right because this is not permission to, you know, take up your argument and say it's Jesus said so. This is not permission to judge people. This is not permission to go seek an apology and make someone else feel bad. No, no, no. What it is is it's a recipe for restoration, Jesus is like, listen, when someone is living in sin against you or you've seen it, you're close to it, you've got the relational ability to influence them for good only out of love, only because you love, you know, you want what's best for them. Here's how you do it. Go privately and talk to them. If you need to take someone else with you a second time, it's only out of love. There's a point where you're not responsible for someone else's decisions. You can't force them to do something, want something, or change something. But it is our responsibility to go to one another out of a loving heart and say, I, I'm not sure if this is best for you. Do you realize what you're getting yourself into? Do you know how this affects the people that you live with? You know, and, and just try out of love. This is a recipe for redemption. Um, I heard somebody say this, the purpose of confronting a brother or sister who has sinned against you is not to slam them and not to make sure they feel the pain they've cost you, but to restore them. See, Jesus first tells the story about the shepherd who wants to restore the one lost sheep. And he says, this is how we should treat each other. If you have to talk to each other about something in your life, you do it as a loving shepherd trying to restore someone, not to slam them, make them feel bad, or force them to apologize to you. That doesn't do anybody any good. It's only out of love. The good shepherd leaves the 99 for the one, and then Jesus calls us to help each other live righteously and to even call each other out appropriately when necessary. So how do we appropriately and in love call each other out? And I would say a simple way to think about it, instead of calling each other out, think about it as helping a brother out. Doesn't that sound better? 
Like if my job is like the police to say, you're sinning here, that's too much of that, you know, that was wrong, uh, I'm the judge and jury, you know, I don't need to call you out. The Holy Spirit convicts us. That's actually a good thing to cause us to turn back to the Father. But we can help a brother out. And we don't help a non-believer out. We can love them, we can point them to God, but it's not our, judge to, our, our job to judge them. But with a Christian, sometimes out of love, we must go to each other and say, hey, I love you enough to tell you this isn't good. I love you enough to say, do what you want, but it's on me. Jesus says there's some relationship influence that we have that we better help each other, so I'm just trying to do my job, can't make a decision for you, can't force you to change, but I got to tell you. And if I think about it that way, I'm just trying to help a brother out, not call someone out. As parents, we do this with our kids, right? I go to the high school and drop off my daughter, and I see all these idiots going to school in like shorts and no coat in the middle of the winter, right? And my daughter might hate it, but I'm like, put your hat on, put your coat on, it's cold outside, what are you, an idiot, right? Like, I love her too much to send her out in zero degrees to walk, you know, you know, just to look cool for 15 seconds. And there's all kinds of things we do as parents that we're like, I love you too much to let you do that to yourself. I'm going to make you study. I won't feed you candy for breakfast. Whatever it is that as parents, we're like, I know enough to try to help you. And this is what Jesus wants us to do with each other as believers, that we know enough to help each other. We need each other. We don't, Jesus says, don't you dare help someone along in their sin. And then he ends the chapter by saying, and in fact, here's how you confront each other when you have to. But it's not in a way to, to judge them or, or slam them. It's in a, in a way to help them, to restore them like the good shepherd. So here's uh, two questions that, if this is helpful for you, if you've ever been like, yeah, you know what? There is times when I've needed to say something, but I didn't know how to say it. And that's difficult to do. The best thing is pray, pray, pray. Maybe ask someone else to pray for you or pray with you and just invite the Spirit if he wants to use you in that way, to use you in that way. But when you have the conversation, here's just a little tip I've heard. Ask first, is it okay if I challenge you on something? That's a little bit of an awkward question. But if I just walk into your office and tell you what I think, how is that going to go, right? If you didn't invite my feedback or ask my opinion. So maybe if you feel like I, I've prayed about it and I feel like the Lord wants me to say something, I want to do it right, I want to do it in love, then just simply say, hey, is it okay if I, if I challenge you on something? And if they say no, then you keep it to yourself. You've, you've put yourself out there. They've rejected it. You're, I think you're off the hook. But if they say yes, they've now invited your feedback. You, you were straight up with, you know, how this might be a tough conversation. And so that doesn't fix everything, but that might help it go better. Otherwise you leave like, ah, I was just, I love you. I was trying to be nice to you. You deserve it anyways, right? Like that never goes well. So you can just simply say, is it okay if I challenge you on something and move forward with their, with their permission? The other thing I heard from someone else, this is a good like leadership tip. If you're a boss or a teacher or something like that, where you're, you're working with people or especially if you're over people, but even as Christians, I think this is such a, a smart thing that when you feel like, now that I know, I got to say something, right? Like, I wish I didn't know so I could just ignore it. When you feel like that, here's a great phrase that you can say to that person. Just say, this is what I've heard. Tell me if it's true. Rather than you walking in, I heard you were doing this last night, or I heard blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Give them a chance to explain for themselves, but be straight up and honest with them. This is what I've heard. Tell me if it's true. And that might help set the tone for a healthy confrontation, because we don't want to be just pointing fingers, because none of us are perfect. But as fellow believers, fellow sheep, Jesus is saying, help each other along. Help a brother out. So those are just two simple questions that might help us have 
quality confrontation. Because our goal, Jesus says sin is a big deal. And he says there's temptation all over in this world. We need each other. So let's make sure we're doing everything we can to not encourage anyone else to sin, but instead to even have difficult conversations if we have to, to help people be restored. I don't know if you've ever noticed something real small and you're like, ah, it's not a big deal. But over time, it became a big deal. Maybe it was a little leak in your house, and then you ended up with like flood damage, right? And you're like, oh, I wish I would have done something when I saw it. Maybe it was a relational thing where you saw something in someone, but you didn't want to say it. And then maybe a year later, you're like, I wonder if it would have been better had I actually... I don't know if you felt that. I remember a few years ago, um, I was serving with a youth group, and there was this guy on our team. He's a good friend of mine. Great guy, and um, I'm not a real intuitive person, right? Like you could pull one over on me pretty easy, and uh, but I just felt like a few weeks in a row, I kept noticing something, and it wasn't really anything specific, you know. I didn't have like hard evidence, but I was just like, I feel like this guy is enjoying married guy uh, is enjoying attention from this single girl who's on our team uh, too much, and not like. I didn't see anything inappropriate. I felt, I asked my wife, she's like, well, I don't know, you know, you're not usually that intuitive, but tell me, you know, and so I was like, I, I don't know, I just, I, two or three times it's come to mind. What do I do about it? And I was like, well, I've not, nothing's really happening. I don't even know if there's anything there. But I was like, I love this guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a good man. I don't know what's going on in his heart. I don't know what's going on in his marriage. What if there's something there and he didn't even realize it, right? I mean, it was so innocent. So I took him out for lunch. And I just told him, I said, man, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say this. I love you too much not to say this. I don't know if there's anything to it. Maybe there's something to it, and you don't even realize it yet. But if it can be helpful, and I just kind of told him, I said, I don't have like a certain thing to point to. It's just a vibe I'm getting. And he took it so well. I mean, I prayed. He, I had to drive like an hour to where he worked to get, him, to get lunch with him. And I prayed the whole way. Because I was like, God, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to be a jerk. I'm not trying to make him feel bad. I don't even know. This. God, I'm just trying to do what I feel like you put on my heart. I wish I didn't have to. I hope I'm wrong. He took it so well. And nothing ever, ever came of it. And I don't know if anything would have come of it. He's like, I'm not really sure, but I'll be as careful as possible. You know, and, and, and I thought, maybe there was nothing there. Maybe I could have ignored it. But you know what? The best stories are when you can say, I don't know if anything would have happened. Because nothing happened. We don't want to be the kind of people that feel like maybe I should say something, but I'll, eh, I don't have any incriminating evidence. I don't have any specific thing to point to. So that's, that's hard to do, but the best stories are when we say, I'll do what I feel like the Lord's leading me to do. I'll try to do it as well as I possibly can out of love, and I hope the story is, I don't know what would have happened because nothing ever happened. But folks, it's a crazy verse when Jesus says, you might as well be mafia-style thrown in the depths of the sea because he's trying to help us realize sin is a huge deal, so big that he died for it. And he wants us to go and love each other in a way that we live better together. So would you stand for me, stand with me and pray with me as we wrap up today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way, it cracks me up sometimes the way Jesus speaks. It, it makes me laugh as I read the Bible, but... Um, you're trying to shake us up and get our attention. And so, God, I pray that you would have just that this morning, that you would have our complete attention, that you would have our, our minds and our hearts and that you would speak to us. God, if there's anyone in this room that's like, yep, that's me. I've got, I've got some stuff in my life and I've just been leaving it. God, that you would get our attention and say, do something because that's a big deal. 
God, if there's any of us in this room that need to hear something and you could use someone else, I pray that you'd send that person and use that person to get our attention. If you want any of us to be that person, God, I pray that we would do so out of humility and love and just, I wish I didn't have to, but I'm trying to obey God. Father, I thank you for this church, this community of believers, that we can encourage and challenge each other to help each other live righteously. So I pray, God, for each of us in this room, for the families that we represent, that you would help us to encourage each other to to follow you with all of our life, to get rid of sin, to be on the lookout for sin and temptation in our life, and to encourage each other that we could be better together for your glory. Thank you for uh, this message that you put on our hearts. I pray that your spirit would water it and use it in great ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.